This is episode 222 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, This is Not a Test, Understanding the Emergency Alert System, OPSEC, Strategies for Dealing with Operational Security, and 26 Depression-Era Recipes You Can Use for Survival. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before we get started, you can make sure that you get the Prepper Website Podcast delivered to your preferred device without fail. We make it very easy for you to subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or any other favorite podcast network. And if you do feel you're receiving value from this podcast, we appreciate your kind reviews. Hey guys, yesterday we talked a little bit, or I mentioned this um, bombogenesis that was uh, going to hit the East Coast, and man, it, I was looking at some of the pictures. Uh, it is crazy over there, so if you get a chance, uh, make sure that you uh, see what's going on and keep these guys in your prayers, because it is really, really crazy over there. And uh, and as we go through the weekend, I know some places are supposed to warm up, and then we're supposed to get hit again with some cold, and you know, just... Uh, Take the time when it warms up to maybe go and resupply in uh, uh, your preps if you need to, or you know do whatever you need to do and uh, just use that time wisely, just in case we get another blast of this cold Arctic uh, air that comes up from the from the north and uh, hits us like it did this this last time. Because I know it was pretty miserable for a lot of people over there. Okay, I have three articles for you today, but. Uh, they're shorter ones, so that's why I went with three. And uh, the last one, I actually have a download for you uh, because I think you you might want want that one. So let's go ahead and jump into the articles. Uh, our first one comes to us from CatastropheNet.com. And uh, this one is entitled, This is Not a Test, Understanding the Emergency Alert System. And so I think this is a good one, uh, and I learned some things. I even uh, Googled, like they they mentioned here in the uh, article, and uh, found some information here locally for myself. So uh, let's go ahead and start reading this one. The Emergency Alert System, or EAS, replaced the Connell RAD system of Emergency Broadcast System, EBS, popular during the Cold War. Like these systems of the past, the primary purpose of today's EAS is to allow the President of the United States to alert and address the public simultaneously to a national emergency at a moment's notice, such as in the event of an enemy attack. However, today's EAS also allows for the broadcast of a full range of emergency messages regarding severe weather, evacuations during hazardous material spills, missing persons, and even 911 outages. In fact, the vast majority of EAS messages are for these day-to-day hazards since the President has never utilized the EAS to deliver such a a message for a national emergency. The backbone of the EAS is built on 77 designated AM and FM broadcast stations known as primary entry points or national primary NP stations. The federal government has equipped these stations with backup generators, on-site fuel and communications equipment that allows them to receive emergency messages directly from FEMA's Mount Weather Emergency Operations Center via several redundant means. These redundant means include the FEMA National Radio System, FNARS, which is a high-frequency communication network similar 
to those used by ham radio operators to communicate across the country and a special satellite channel via the commercial Cirrus XM carrier. Other stations in the EAS network monitor the nearest primary entry point or national primary station and automatically rebroadcast emergency messages in a sort of daisy chain relay system throughout the network. It is important to know the location of the primary entry point or national primary station that serves your area. It is likely that these stations will remain on the air after other broadcast stations have gone silent because of the specialized equipment they have been provided from the federal government, including backup diesel generators with large on-site fuel tanks. You can likely determine the location and frequency of your nearest primary entry point station by doing a Google search for EAS plan for and then your state. The vast majority of states' EAS plans are online and will list the primary entry point station serving your state. Okay, so I did that. I went and I Googled EAS plan for my state. And then the big cities popped up. I'm in Texas, of course. And I was able to select Houston. And then there's a PDF that actually popped up. And so I could download it if I wanted to. And there's a lot of information there. It does tell you the primary entry point. So for those of you living in the Houston area and uh, the surrounding area, it's uh, the AM station 740 AM. And uh, that is uh, for those of, you know, those of you who don't know, uh, in the Houston area, that's just a talk radio station. So you get weather and all kind of talk shows and all that kind of junk. But uh, that would be the primary entry point. So if everything went dark for whatever reason and uh, there was one station that was going to stay up, it would be that one in the Houston area. So you could tune to that one, and instead of going up and down the channels, you would just go to that one and try to uh, hear fr from that one. Then there's a, a second one, a second point of entry that is, uh, I, I think it was like 88.7 here in the Houston area. Uh, but, you know, you could find it for your area as well. And then there was Appendix where they talked through the, uh, the actual, it was almost a script where they could fill in whatever it was that was going on and all kinds of information. So I would say it would be a good idea for you to go and check that out and just find your, P, uh, your primary entry point, your PEP, uh, for, uh, for your area so that you could dial into it, or at least you have that information in the back of your head. All right, continuing on. After a major disaster or national emergency, a handheld AM-FM radio used to monitor your primary entry point station would be the most reliable means of receiving emergency alert system messages. However, more local disasters such as weather alerts would best be received using a weather radio or via a local broadcast station. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, Weather Radio, NWR, is a network of 1,000-plus transmitters located throughout the United States that transmit local weather conditions and emergency alerts 24 hours a day. Specially designed receivers known as weather radios monitor the nearest transmitter and will sound an alarm, much like a smoke detector when an alert is broadcast. NWR transmitters are connected to the emergency alert system. This means weather radios will sound alarms for both severe weather, such as tornadoes and severe thunderstorm warnings, as well as EAS messages for local civil emergencies and even nationwide emergency action notifications from the president. Finally, the most recent improvements of the emergency alert system is the addition of wireless emergency alerts that use the cellular network to deliver emergency messages to cell phones. In spite of the fact that the cellular network could be a major fail point during a major disaster or national emergency, 
a wireless emergency alert may still be the first notification you receive of a disaster. You will receive the following types of alerts via this method if the cell tower you are connected to is in the impacted area. Tsunami warnings, tornado warnings, flash flood warnings, hurricane typhoon warnings, dust storm warnings, extreme wind warnings, amber alerts, and presidential alerts during a national emergency. We have come a long way with the emergency alert system since the days of civil defense, but knowledge is still key in allowing a prepper or survivalist to know which sources to seek out and how to tap into them. All right, so like I said, short little article over there, but a good one and information so that you would know if you uh, if you had to turn to AMFM, you knew uh, you'll know which station to turn to. So I would go look that up, and it's just a quick search. It took probably about two or three minutes to uh, to get the information that I that I needed to to know which AM and FM station uh, I would want to turn to. So that's over at catastrophenet.com. And uh, again, like always, I link to all the articles in the show notes. Okay, our next article comes to us from Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You. And the title of this article is OPSEC Strategies for Dealing with Operational Security. And so this is a big uh, topic always in the preparedness community. So uh, I know this would be one that's uh, of interest to you. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Don't you just love all the neat terms and acronyms the prepper community uses? Operational security, or OPSEC, is borrowed from the military. Personally, I prefer loose lips think ships, but LLSS doesn't exactly roll off the tongue, so I guess we'll stick with OPSEC. In the context of prepping, OPSEC means to not tell people who don't need to know about your preps. This should avoid having any access, excess of people trying to beg, borrow, or steal your preps when you need them most, right after SHTF. How can we achieve sufficient OPSEC despite being paranoid? I touched on OPSEC a bit in my post on convincing others to prep, and I also mentioned that not everyone in my MAG, and MAG stands for Mutual Assistance Group, has been told they are in the MAG in my How I Formed a MAG post. Actually, most of my MAG members don't know much. That may seem a bit weird to the typical prepper. How can one have a MAG without the members of the MAG knowing? It's actually pretty easy. If I expect they would turn to me in an emergency, I don't need to say anything. If I think that it might not be obvious enough, I just tell them that in the event of of an emergency, come to my place. End of conversation. Why tell anyone anything? Basically, there's no reason to tell anyone about your prepping activities unless you want them to do something, and the something is usually getting them to participate in prepping themselves. If one of my MAG members does some prepping, that will be a pleasant surprise and leave us with some surplus. Outside of these folks, who really needs to know? Aside from the whole internet, exactly one person knows that all my activity with food, firearms, old vehicles, etc. adds up to being a prepper. That person is the only, is one other person in my 20 person MAG. Who are the others in the MAG I haven't told? Children and young adults with no money. The most I want from any of them pre-SHTF is to prepare a bob for themselves. I advise them to put together an emergency three-day bag, and that's all I need to say. Trying to convince someone to prep. I wrote a post on convincing others to prep, but in summary, what I suggested was putting together a bob, trying, or typically without using the term bob. If they do it, then perhaps there is more to discuss, or perhaps they can figure out for themselves that a disaster may last more than three days. If they don't prepare a bob, then I move on to someone else. My OPSEC is only compromised to the extent that they may know I have a bob, not a big deal. 
The other key suggestion for initial discussions I have is to avoid prepper lingo. Lingo. Don't use the term prepper or survivalist. Your bob is just a three-day emergency bag, just like FEMA and the Red Cross recommend. Obviously, I have shared with a lot of people on the internet the fact that I prep. I suppose that someone who was really tech-savvy could figure out exactly who and where I am, but why bother? Until the SHTF, I am not worth tracking. If someone on the internet tracked me down, they might find I am 1,000 miles away from their location in any case. Surely, whoever is trying to knock on my door would find it easier to just knock on their next-door neighbor's door. The internet actually enables a lot of relatively anonymous conversations between preppers who want to share ideas and encourage prepping by others. It may not be super secure, but despite being paranoid, it seems to work. That is what we're doing here on this blog. There is concern that in our current surveillance state that government will figure out who the preppers are and use the information to track down and confiscate their supplies. Presumably, internet postings like this one would be used for that purpose. However, estimates that I have seen indicate that about 3% of the population preps. That is 10 million people in the U.S. Do I think I'll be first prepper the, go- the first prepper the government will come after? Hardly, or I wouldn't be posting here. Furthermore, in the United States, people tend to be armed. Stealing from them is not a good recipe for survival, even if you are from the government and here to help. Consequently, I am not too worried about the government knocking down my door and stealing my preps. They'd be better off letting me care for 19 other people. Another problem is that casual visitors may may become aware of your preps. The result is lost upset. The best way to avoid this problem is to keep your preps out of sight. Your visitors should be able to wander around your house without ever realizing that you are a prepper. A cardboard box full of preps can easily be labeled Christmas decorations. Even if a visitor to my home saw all my preps, what has he really seen? He has seen a bunch of five-gallon buckets and cardboard boxes in the basement. Unless he is a prepper himself, he is unlikely to translate that into long-term emergency supplies. Having maintained OPSEC up to the point of a disaster, SHTF happens. You now have the problem of what to volunteer about your level of preparedness with your neighbors. In most prepper fiction, people are running out of food within a week and violent conflicts between the prepared and unprepared begins. I actually am optimistic that such conflicts would take a bit longer. We were without power and relatively cut off during Hurricane Sandy. Nobody came to our door looking for anything. Actually, one fellow was looking for internet access so he could send an email, but I'm not counting on that. However, soon or later, people will be out and about and looking for supplies. If the stores are not open, you will have folks looking for help. If you are capable of providing some charity without harming your situation, that is terrific. It is up to you to decide what to share and what to keep quiet. But you need to hit a suitable balance between charity and becoming everyone's go-to guy. The best way to maintain OPSEC is to avoid lingo and don't call yourself a prepper. You're just a guy who gave away an extra can of peaches. All right, so um, you know this actually came up uh, today when we were doing. I forgot to mention that at the very beginning of this uh, of the podcast, uh, we did that live broadcast with uh, Erica Nygaard of Living Life in Rural Iowa, and uh, we talked a little bit about that because one of her articles was um, uh, the SHTF happens. I'm coming over to your house, and uh, you can go watch that video over on. Um, 
on the Prepper website uh, Facebook page, and uh, so it's it'll still be up and it'll be up forever. You just scroll down the page and you'll be able to see it, and uh, you can listen to it. We went about an hour and a uh, really great interview. I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, hopefully, I can do some more of those in the future. But you know, we talked a little bit about that in you know in her post. She uh, she made it very very clear where people um, you know what she would be saying to people if they were to come over like hey uh, you you need to bring your food your food storage you know and so people are like well what do you mean food storage yeah whatever food you have you need to be bringing that over whatever water you have you need to be bringing that uh, you know you better come with a good attitude because you don't have to stay here uh, you know come with uh, a way or means to maybe sleep. Because, uh, you know, I might not have room in the house for you. Uh, if you have kids, real, you know, you need to let them know that they're going to be required to work. Everyone's going to be required to work. And so you have all these things if you choose to go that route. And so uh, a lot there. You know, I think I've made it pretty clear that uh, I have uh, just let people out there know that I uh, that I, I prep in, um, you know, as, as long as I feel comfortable. And so, uh, you know, when I was on the campus and uh, a lot of those people, I consider them my friends. And so, uh, you know, it was out in the open. But people would say, hey, Todd, in an emergency, we're just going to come over to your house. And I would always say, you can come. There's not going to be anything there. We're going to be gone. You know, we're going to be at my parents' house. And so I would always say that to let them know, like, no, you can't depend on me because I'm not going to be there. And, uh, you know, but I was also thinking and reflecting a little bit during Hurricane Harvey, when everything was going down, uh, you know, people, you know, Houston was devastated and the whole Gulf Coast was devastated. I never had anybody call me and say, hey, Todd, uh, are you, uh, you know, high and dry? Can we come over to your house and crash? I mean, nobody ever said that. Um, Of course, we would have been willing to do that, but, you know, you couldn't really get to our house. And so uh, I don't think in it, when the hammer drops and the poop hits the fan, I, I still think that there is going to be shock. So you think about big things that have kind of happened. So like 9-11, when 9-11 happened and people were kind of like in shock, uh, when you when you have uh, like Hurricane Harvey, uh, people, you know, there were some places that you could read about where people were patrolling and they had their guns out and things like that. But and there was some looting and things like that. But uh, you know, though it didn't turn into you know every every man for himself down here. Definitely, it didn't it didn't do that. And so you think about if the hammer was to drop, there's going to be a shock period, and then there's going to be an adjustment, kind of like uh, you know, kind of like where where everybody is coming from and trying to figure all all of it out. And then maybe things would start to sink in. You know, maybe people would be going to the store and things would be starting to sink in. But I think there is going to be uh, a period. And this article talks a little bit about that. Um, I don't agree so much with not letting people know about. Uh, I mean, I understand where he's coming from as far as the the mag. You know, I haven't told him because they're not going to uh, they're not going to prep anyway. So I understand where he's going from in that route. I guess one of the reasons why I talked openly so much about preparedness is that I care about people and I care about, you know, the, like I said, the people that work are, were, I consider them close friends. I worked with them for many, many years. And uh, so I consider them important and important to me. And I want them to be able to be safe and I want their families to be safe. 
And so I talk openly about preparedness, and hopefully it uh, it reaches some of them. I think I think I did reach some of them uh, throughout the years, and and so hopefully that is a good thing. Um, and I to openly talk about it because I want people to to think about it. And you really any anybody who is out there that is really considering our world and how fragile it is anybody who is out there and is paying attention to what is going on in the in you know in our world they're going to have a good idea they're going to have a good idea of uh of you know that this world is fragile and uh, if they get in any inkling of you know what i i should be prepping they're probably going to move to that they're going to be very very open to that and so uh, that's kind of where i come from and that's always been my uh, rationale at the very beginning of preparedness uh, i i totally understood i mean you know people like i i was i was posting articles i was reading articles and people were like don't tell anybody anything you know just uh you know just hunker down you know uh just be the gray man and all that kind of stuff and i really started thinking and and being a christian that doesn't just go with my with my faith i mean i couldn't i couldn't continue to do that that wouldn't be part of it i know a lot of people out there have a lot of different other ideas and you have to have the conviction that you have to have and you have to be able to live with it and uh, i just kind of know where i where i would be uh you know coming from and that's where um i just made that decision a long long time ago um i i do agree with uh what they said here in the article about the government i mean some people i <laughs> I have had some crazy emails of people uh, throughout the years, people like emailing me like, Todd, uh, I know they're tracking me through my computer and, uh, and you know, like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm on a website and then all of a sudden my mouse starts moving, you know, and I'm like, okay, so I, I don't know. I'm not saying that that's not possible, but I think the, the, the government has bigger fish to fry. And I don't think they're going to be looking for someone who has a month worth of food. They're going to come and they're going to do a big O, uh, you know, take down SWAT and, and, and special forces and everything to come bust into your home to uh, to take your, your one month uh, of food. I think they would be going for, if they were going to do something like that, they would be going for big corporations and big companies who have that type. I and mean, they would be taking over Walmart and Sam's and, and, and big gross Costco's and stuff like that. They would be taking over farms and ranches and, and, and those kinds of things. I don't think they'd be concerned with uh, individual homes. Um, the government. Now, you know, if you're talking about maybe smaller, like localized, uh, crooked, you know, uh, forces, police forces or whatever uh you know you can kind of you can kind of see that i mean that's stuff to, of movies and things like that but you can kind of possibly see that i mean in louisiana when uh katrina happened uh people got their their guns taken away and they lost them i mean people who had um and you can easily go to youtube and you can search for this uh people who had uh firearms that were passed down from generation to generation. Uh, maybe it was a grandfather, you know, a grandfather's rifle or a father's rifle, and it wasn't something that was registered or anything like that. Uh, police, you know, came and picked those up, and then all of a sudden they quote unquote got lost somewhere. Yeah, yeah, right. And so uh, that, that's just a bunch of crap. So uh, you know, you, you can you can go to YouTube and still the videos are still there uh, about you know about that happening. And so in Texas, you know, <laughs> I've heard people like that. That's not going to happen here. You know, and people not giving up their their firearms and, and things like that. 
So uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, the obstacle for visitors were, uh, you know, you hide your preps. I think, you know, pretty much everybody, you know, understands that. And, uh, you know, mislabeling Christmas decorations or whatever it's going to be there. And then you just got to decide what you're going to do uh, when the uh, when the poop hits the fan and how uh, how much you're going to tell others and, and where you're going to go from there. All right, so good article over at BeansBulletsBandagesAndYou.com. And uh, go check that one out. There are links. He referred to some of his other articles. I think there's like two or three articles that he references here that you can go check out. All right, our last article of the podcast comes to us from ModernSurvivalOnline.com. And this article is entitled 26 Depression Era Recipes You Can Use for Survival. And uh, on Friday, for the Friday podcast, I normally grab a podcast or an article from the archive, the Prepper website archive. And uh, I normally ask the question on the Facebook group, hey, guys, you know, what is a good topic that you might be interest, interested in? And uh, cooking kind of came up. And so I started looking for one and uh, found this one that I thought would be interesting to share on the podcast. Now, um, there's 26, there's actual recipes in here. And so this is what I was talking about the download. I'm not going to read the individual. I'm not going to read 26 recipes to you. I think that would be very, very boring, right? That would be that would be a super low in the Prepper Website podcast. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, read 26 recipes to you. But what I did is I turned it into a PDF. And so if you want this, um, you know, these recipes, you can easily download them. So I have them in the uh, in the show notes. In the mentioned area, there is a link, and you can go. It's a Dropbox link. And so what it's going to do, it, it basically, um, I used my print screen uh, or my print and printed straight to a PDF. And so you have the Modern Survival. I think it's 13 pages. You have the Modern Survival online uh, banner on the top. So it's just a replica of the website. So you're going to see all the, the website ads and all those kinds of things. Uh, but you do have the recipes. So uh, I don't want to take away from this article, and that's not something I want to do on a regular basis. Uh, I, do, I do want you going over to um, over to the articles, but I know that there's some people who's like, hey, I don't know. When you talk about converting to a PDF, I don't know what you're talking about. And so I just wanted to uh, kind of throw that out there. All I did was I went to file print and uh, or print and went to instead of sending it to my printer i printed it as i changed the the print to the printer to an, a pdf and it saved it as a pdf and basically that's all i did and so it's very easy for you to do as well there are other means i guess that you can just kind of print the article and uh, you can be a little bit more technical if you want to do that but like i said 13 pages and you can go uh uh, get that done and uh, have that you know have these recipes for you uh, i don't so i'm going to read uh i'm going to read the information that they talk about here uh, at the beginning and uh, i'll read the actual the names of the recipes so that might kind of pique your interest and to see if you want to download this pdf or not but uh, appreciate modern survival online's um, you know article over there and so i'm going to encourage you still to go over and uh, check out this this uh this link or their, their website article so here we go uh 26 Dep depression era recipes you can use for survival most people who are preparing for a future economic collapse or shtf event realize that life as it is today could be radically altered 
One of the main things that will change radically if the world experiences another severe economic collapse due to an EMP event or another extended grid down situation will be diet and cooking methods. Many preppers are looking to the tried and true recipes of the Great Depression period, which began in August 1929 and lingered through approximately 1941 in the United States and Europe. It was the worst recession of the Western industrialized world. It truly altered the way of life for many families. Vegetable gardens were nurtured, clothing was patched and repaired for longer wear, and several generations of families often lived together out of necessity. Feeding a family following another severe economic collapse, extended grid-down situation, or other SHTF event will be similar to feeding a family during the Great Depression. Some of the lessons surrounding food that were learned back then include growing your own food, sharing and bartering food with neighbors, making the best you can from what you do have, being thrifty, reusing, and recycling as much as possible, foraging, hunting, and preserving food will once again become central to meal planning. Shopping in the Depression era was much different than it is today, especially for lower-income and middle-class families. Following an EMP or other SHTF event, shipping, trucking, and commercial food manufacturing will again be at a standstill. We may once again have to shop like our ancestors did during the Depression era. Preppers will need to buy now and properly store large quantities of things such as beans, rice, flour, sugar, cornmeal, potatoes, and sea salt. Growing your own herbs for seasoning and vegetables to eat will be crucial. Eggs will soon be at a premium or only available through bartering, if at all. The same will be true for raw milk, cream, butter, as well as bacon or pork and beef. You will need to raise your own chickens, dairy cows, pigs, and beef cows, or trade something valuable that you have plenty of to get what you want for someone who doesn't have it or who does have it. For those who raise or grow their own food, it will be important to learn how to build a root cellar to extend the life of your harvest for leaner times that may come. Without electricity, storing of dairy and other perishable items will need to be done in something like a zeer-pot fridge in hot weather. Breakfast during the Great Depression era varied wide, widely according to socioeconomic status of the household and what was available at that time. It usually included some kind of dried or baked fruit if fruit was plentiful for the family. A creamy grits cereal or farina cereal, some type of bread and tea or coffee. Milk and eggs were expensive so unless the family raised their own cow or chickens, many meals didn't include them during the Great Depression. Alright, so one of the um, one of the recipes is for milk toast. Then you have cornbread and milk, hot milk and rice, cornmeal mush with milk, sugar bread, sugar cookies and coffee, oatmeal pancakes, spider corn bread, potato pancakes, 50-50 biscuits, split pea pancakes, fresh bread, hardtack, and then we get to soups and stews here. Uh, cream soup, white sauce, bean soup, vegetable soup, potato and cheese soup, Dinners and desserts are beef stew, pepper and eggs, bean sausage, poor man's meal, dumplings, beans and ham hocks, hobo tinfoil dinners, eggless chocolate cake, baked apples without sugar. Today we are lucky enough to have some modern conveniences available to us that make securing food and cooking meals much easier than they were in the Depression era. 
Most preppers have come to the realization, however, that following an EMP or SHTF event that would create an extended grid-down situation, we may very well have to revert to some of the methods used by our ancestors to feed their families. If you have already started storing bulk dry goods, growing your own vegetables, and raising your own livestock when such an event occurs, you will be miles ahead of many people. Tuck these recipes away or even try some of them this week so that you can be confident in your ability to cook in a way that will sustain your family and boost morale during tough times. What's your favorite depression era recipe? Share with us in the comments below. So there's 15 comments. The The print article or the PDF that I created does not include the comments. So you might want to come and check out the comments of what people are saying. Some of them are like, man, we still eat like this right now. So, uh, you know, uh, they're like, man, I didn't realize I was eating depression era food. So anyway, that's uh, some some great recipes there. Uh, you'll never... You'll never know when you might need those or when you need to, you might need to tighten up your belt and uh, be very, very creative with the way that you make meals and very creative with what you have on hand to be able to do that. And so uh, I would definitely recommend that you come check this out over at Modern Survival Online. And again, uh, we've got that download for you. It goes to uh, a Dropbox link and you can uh, wait for it to uh, boot up and then download it from there. Alright guys, that's it for episode 222 and another week of the Prepper Website Podcast. It was great getting back into the game and uh, you know being able to come to you every day uh, through the podcast. I really do appreciate all your support and uh, the emails and the you know the the contact that people make with me on um, social media. So if you haven't had a chance, I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and uh, or you can always come over to the Prepper Website Podcast.com. Uh, our website and you can send me an email i got the email address on the sidebar or you can just come over to one of the episodes and leave me a comment and uh, definitely get back to you there so uh, as we go into the weekend i hope you stay warm i hope you stay safe i hope if you get a chance and i get a break from uh, the snow and all the craziness that you can go and resupply and do what you need to do and take care of important things and those of you on the east coast uh, definitely uh, please be careful and stay safe, and uh, we'll keep you in our thoughts and prayers. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.